May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. So today we had some options. Uh, so you'll notice that Joyce and I are wearing white stoles and everything else is green. And that's because today we could have had either, well depending on which way you read the lectionary, fourth Sunday and after Epiphany or the fourth Sunday at ordinary time. So the colour for that is green. And so the Gospel reading we've just heard uh, is the Gospel reading for that Sunday. And I had that Sunday because, well, it was the second half of the reading that we had last Sunday. So some of you were probably thinking when I began that Gospel reading, wait, we've already heard this. John's making a mistake. That's last week's Gospel reading. Oh, yeah, Barris was. I think I'd lost the plot. Uh, but the other option we could have had today, of course, is being the first Sunday in February, Candle Mass, presentation of Jesus in the temple. So that's white. So Joyce and I kind of hedged our bets, really, kind of holding it all together. And as I said in the pew shed, one of the themes that's at work in today's readings is longing. So I talked about that in the pew sheet, and we can see that longing in uh, the story of Jesus' parents, Joseph and Mary, taking him to the temple on their way home to Nazareth. So Luke's Gospel is very different from Matthew's version of the Christmas story. Matthew's version of the Christmas story, Herod throws a hissy fit, kills a whole lot of people, and they flee to Egypt. In Luke's Gospel, there's no telling. They just travel down from Nazareth, do the census thing, and on the way home to Nazareth, drop in at the temple in Jerusalem, present him as the Torah says for the firstborn child and then carry on home. And in fact, Bethlehem is very close to Jerusalem. Uh, the guy who took one of the tours I did when I was in Jerusalem many years ago used to do day walking tours from the old city to Bethlehem and back. So not so far. It was just down the road, really. They're very close. So and in that story, we can hear Joseph and Mary's longings for their son, Jesus. And in the response of Simeon and Anna to Jesus, which we would have heard if we'd had Luke 2, we would have heard the greater longings of the people of Israel around a Messiah and for the salvation of the people. So all of that longing is held in the, in the story. And on Wednesday in this country we have Waitangi Day, which some of us think is a great day for a party or a holiday. But actually for many Māori there's still that longing that the hope and the promise that was held in the signing of that treaty is fulfilled. And the economic base that they had once had uh, to take part in the life of this country is restored so that they can take part uh, both in the, in the social and economic life of this country but also to re-engage with the world which they were before the 1840s, or in fact before the 1840s to 60s. So longing is one of the themes. Another theme, we might say, is a related theme, might be love. So I found these cartoons, well, the cartoons found me, uh, on the internet, from, on Facebook, from uh, Naked Pastor, this one's so small even I can't read it. So this is Jesus talking to the Pharisees and he's saying, The difference between me and you is you use scripture to determine what love means and 
I use love to determine what scripture means. So, he actually got into trouble for this. A lot of people thought it was anti-Semitic, so he redid it. And here's the second cartoon, which is slightly bigger. And there's a whole lot of pastors holding their Bibles. Jesus saying the same thing. The difference between me and you is you use scripture to determine what love means. And I use love to determine what scripture means. So that kind of is what is at stake in today's readings, really. What is love and how do we use it? Which comes first? So we heard this great story, this great hymn to love from Paul's letter, which we hear in lots of weddings. I'm sure uh, I will hear it in a few weddings to, in the years to come. Certainly heard it a lot in the past. And I just want to make a couple of comments about that. And the first is, when Paul, and the whole of the Bible was written, there were no verse, verse numbers and there were no chapters, dividers. In fact, there were no punctuations at all. So the, when the translators first had to work, they had to work out where sentences ended and where sentences began, which mostly is pretty self-evident. But there are a few places where it's not so evident and they've had to take a punt where the full stop is, or whether it should be a comma. And it does change how you read things if you move those full stops around. So, if you went and got a Greek New Testament, scholars have, de have decided where those full stops and commas, etc. go, uh, and they've had to take a punt. So, no chapter dividers. So, if we were to read Paul's letter straight through and took out all the verse numbers and all the chapter headings, it actually changes the way from which it has been presented to us in our Bibles. So in our Bibles, chapter 12 is all about spiritual gifts. You all knew that. 1 Corinthians 12. And the last verse in 1 Corinthians 12 is, But I strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. And because it's in the last verse of that chapter, we generally look back to what Paul said about the gifts to work out which are the greater gifts. That makes sense. That's how chapters work. They are discrete things, and then you move on to the new topic. But actually, Paul was not talking about what he had just talked about. It was a segue into what he was about to talk about. So what were the greater gifts? Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of which is love. So, because they put that chapter heading there, that chapter, it has led people to misread Paul for years. And the Bible, the people who then publish these Bibles exacerbate that by sticking a heading at the top of chapter 13. The gift of love. As if what happened beforehand wasn't about the gift of love. The New Jerusalem Bible, however, has that chapter heading a verse earlier. They knew that that, verse, that last verse in chapter 12 was actually about love. So their chapter heading is a verse heading. It's still kind of... It's messy because it's not the first verse of the chapter. But it's interesting how those... Things that were added hundreds of years later change how we read those letters. In fact, all of those things. 
The second comment is, did you notice that Paul didn't describe what love was? Like if we talked about love, we would try to describe it and we would start off with it being a feeling, something that starts inside of you, wouldn't you? That's, that's how we describe it. Paul didn't talk about that at all. Paul talked about love as an action. How you live your life towards other people. He wasn't very interested in how you felt about the other person. He was much more interested in how you treated the other person. Love is an action. It's a verb. For him it wasn't a noun. And that's a very different way of describing love from how we do it, and it's very different from how it's presented in our culture. Love is something that happens inside you. I feel love towards you so that I might do some things. Love said, Paul said, no, love is action. You love someone when you act in certain ways. Well, that's hard enough. Most of us probably struggle to even come close to how Paul describes love in our own loving relationships. But Paul doesn't really, well, and if we read the whole of that letter, he, this is all in terms of a conversation around who to love. And so the Corinthian church was deeply divided between the rich and the poor, between the Jews and the Gentiles, between slaves and free, between male and female, with some of them lording it over others. And so the the kind of Lord's Supper thing had become a little bit shambolic with some people, like they'd bring their own food and some people had lots of food and got a little bit drunk and others were poor and they had no food and they were forced to sit somewhere else because they were poor or they were slaves and Paul was having none of that. So this conversation about love was all about how you treat each other no matter where they come in the social spectrum. So he does address the who to love but in today's reading... Not so much. Who to love? How to love is hard. The question then is who to love? Which takes us to our reading from Luke. So I've already said that was the second part. We can bring up the last slide if you want. Cliff. So it's the second part of last week's reading. And a number of commentators did question why the lectionary writers kind of divided it in half really. And you need to have both halves of the story, really, to understand it. So this is the story of Jesus' homecoming sermon. Uh, and, well, it started off okay, but then it starts to go a little pear-shaped. It's a hard reading. It's hard because what's well, hard to understand what's going on in the reading. It kind of feels like Jesus is picking a fight. People are thinking well of him, but he doesn't want, want any of that, so he tries to pick a fight. That's how it feels like. And I think it's hard because of what Jesus is saying, if we were honest in our listening to it. So, it starts well. Jesus goes home, he's given the scroll, he reads from Isaiah, he picks the reading. Then he sits down in the, in the teacher's seat, so that's what the sitting down bit is. And he says, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And people are quite excited. Now, in the... So, um, the next sentence is about how they are amazed and they say nice things about him. And there are two ways that you can translate the Greek. The one is, 
that they were amazed and they said really nice things about him, or there's the more neutral, they were amazed and they said nice things about him because they were a little bemused by what had just happened. They weren't so sure. And then... I thought last week's sermon was about turning water into wine. No, that was two weeks ago. Oh, was it really? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry then. That's all right. I must have slept last week. You must have. That's all right. As long as you don't sleep this week. Okay, I'm So then, then there's the line, is this not Joseph's son? And Luke doesn't give us any clues about how we should read this, but we could read it at least three ways. So the first way is the super impressed. Isn't this Joseph's son? My goodness, he was a carpenter, but now listen to him. That's amazing, one of our own, and he's doing so well. Hooray! So that's the first way, and we kind of read it that way mostly. But then there's the bemused way. Hmm, isn't this Joseph's son, the carpenter? Where is all this coming from? Why does he say that scripture is being fulfilled in him today? And then there's the little bit angry way. Ha! Isn't that Joseph's son? What's he doing wandering around Capernaum and doing all these things? If he's such a hot shot, why isn't he at home dealing with us? Should be us first. <coughs> now Luke doesn't give us any clues as to which way it should be read. And my hunch is probably a bit of all three, which is why he's a little bit ambivalent and how he kind of the Greek he uses. But clearly Jesus is picking up at least a little bit amused and probably a little bit of angry in that. Is this not Joseph's son? Not Joseph and Mary's son, just Joseph. Mary gets cut out at this point. And maybe it's a, a bit of a slur on him as well, but maybe we're reading too much in at that point. But certainly Jesus is picking up a little bit of an angry vibe because his response then is to address that kind of angry vibe about how prophets are not welcome in their own home and about you're all going to say to me you should heal yourself first which is you should be here doing all of that kind of stuff. Now it's easy for us to be a little bit judgmental of these people in Nazareth. Say, oh, look at them. Being all judgmental and kind of wanting it all for themselves and, and then getting angry and trying to throw him off a cliff so they could stone him. So that was how you did the things on... The one of the ways of stoning people is you throw them off a cliff and then they're a little bit immobilised and you can throw big stones on top of them and then they die. So throwing people off cliffs was one of the ways you could do that. And clearly some of the people in Nazareth were saying, just remember where you come from. We are as needy and as least and probably more needy than anyone else. And we are your people. We're your peeps. You should be here. If you're going to do this kind of cool stuff, start here. Charity begins at home. Isn't that what we say? Yeah. Or maybe he was saying, maybe they were saying something like, so why are you going around helping other people? when we have so much need here which if we're honest is kind of what we say quite a bit like when we were having the discussions around refugees I heard people in this church saying well 
before we take more refugees, we really should fix up our own problems here in New Zealand first, and then, and then, we might have more refugees. And that ain't much different from what those people in Nazareth were saying. If we're honest, we are those people at Nazareth. And that's natural. I mean, the, the self-centered, the self-interest gene is what allows us to survive. But that is also what allows us to stand with those people in Nazareth. Which brings us back to Paul. How to live the love that Paul talked about is hard enough. Like, as I said, most of us probably don't even come close to living that out. I know that I don't. But then Jesus makes it pretty hard here, doesn't he? Because he's saying living love isn't about people like us first. It's not about my family first. It's not about my church first. It's not about my town first. It's not even about people like us. He tells a story about the two great prophets, Elijah and Elijah, and how they helped non-Israelites. So the widow during the famine, not an Israelite. Naaman is, a, in Aramean, working for the Syrians and actually raiding the Israelites. He hears about the prophet because of an Israelite slave they took on one of their raids. So he is the enemy, which all Jesus' hearers know. The year of God's favour, Jesus is saying, is not just for Israel. Not just people like us, but for all people. For the Syrians and all those people we've been fighting over the centuries. All those people that raided us, all those people we raided. The hated Romans. The beggars begging in our storefronts. Those sleeping in doorways in the centre point. Refugees, non-white immigrants, Mexicans, the list goes on. We could include lots of people who we would like to exclude, but actually Jesus was including. I mean, it's easy for us to kind of mock the Americans wanting to build a wall, but the, but the reality is we're not much different. I did have this. I have a colleague in South Africa, and he loves to bait Trump supporters on Facebook, and they love to rise to the bait. And uh, he was talking about building a wall, and a whole lot of Trump supporters said, "But the Bible teaches us that we should protect our neighbours." And I said, "I think the Bible tells you that your neighbour is the Mexicans you're trying to keep out. Yes, you should protect and care for your neighbours, but they are the Mexicans." And they're like, "No, they're people like us." White, middle-class Americans. And if push comes to shove, we're often like that as well. People like us. Well, Jesus' sermon was outrageous. People were outraged. They said it was nonsense. And then they tried to kill him. I've had somebody tell me my sermon was nonsense, but I've had no one try to throw stones at me yet. So I'm quite pleased about that. 
But we should be offended just about every week at what Jesus says. We should find it outrageous. We should want to shout, that's nonsense! Because actually Jesus pushed people really hard. It wasn't a nice gospel. There are churches that have changed the gospel to make it nice. But actually Jesus didn't have a nice gospel. He pushed the boundaries. He pushed the boundaries so hard that in the end they nailed him to a cross. Especially in Luke. Every week you should want to shout nonsense and be outraged. We should be as uncomfortable as those people in Nazareth. Because if we're honest, if we listen to ourselves, we find love hard, both how to love and who to love. So I invite you to think about, talk to your neighbour if you want, who are the people you struggle to love? Who are the people you struggle to include in, under the category the people of God? Who would you much rather not have to love at all? And then we won't do a creed. We'll bring all those people as we gather up our intercessions.